0: Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop after this message. Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab-tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit hempmeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. And now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop. Here's a riddle for you. What does a set of sheets have in common with the world's first Bible, the first American flag, and your great-grandmother's apple pie? Well, here's your clue. It's a story, if you will. Just bear with me. It was a beautiful day in 1997, and I was window shopping on Madison Avenue in New York when I noticed a sign that read 100% organic. Sheets. Okay, so that's not something you'd see very often back then. Um, as a serial tree hugger, I was curious, so I walked over to a display bed made up with a beige set of sheets. They were incredibly soft to the touch, kind of felt like a worn pair of blue jeans. And out of habit, I picked up the sheet and smelled it. And to my surprise, it didn't smell like formaldehyde. Instead, it had this sort of raw, woodsy odor that I couldn't quite describe but I just attributed it to the fact that the sheets were organic. I was even more surprised when a sales girl mentioned what the sheets were made of. So, what would a set of organic sheets have in common with the world's first Bible and Great Granny's Apple Pie? All were made of hemp. And like so many who have no reason to know any better, my first question was, well, is that even legal to sell? In fact, anyone who doesn't know anything about hemp might still think that it'll get hippies high, and they may be even more surprised to learn that hemp would produce no more than just an unpleasant cough if they tried to smoke it. They might also be surprised to learn that it is as much a part of the fabric of our country as the first American flag, or the string on Benjamin Franklin's famed kite, that the first draft of the Declaration of Independence was made on hemp paper, that Presidents George Washington, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson... They all farmed hemp as a cash crop. Hemp was also used to cover wagons as settlers crossed the Continental Divide. Levi Strauss outfitted Great American Gold Rush miners in hemp jeans, and Henry Ford, a hemp farmer, designed his first Model T using hemp composites and ran its engine using hemp oil fuel. Doctors cured headaches and other ailments with a myriad of hemp compounds and tinctures. And yes, your granny's apple pie was likely made with hemp filling. In fact, there are more than 25,000 modern uses for hemp, from building materials and fuel to food and medicine. It also has the capacity to remediate toxic brown fields and help reverse climate change. It's never made anyone high, so that might make you wonder why it's still considered to this day a Schedule I controlled substance. That's the topic of today's show, and I'm really excited to introduce our guests because they know a lot about this topic. But first, Dr. Brian Donner has our medical marijuana minute. What do you have for us today, Dr. Donner?
2: Thank you, Snowden. Hemp is an interesting topic and a widely misunderstood commodity, so I'm glad that you will be speaking about this today. As a medical professional who understands the potential therapeutic and nutritional benefits of hemp. It is difficult for me to understand why it is lumped in with dangerous drugs in the DEA scheduled of controlled substances. With only traces of THC, which is the psychotropic chemical that produces the high marijuana is famous for, hemp has zero mind-altering properties and can be used safely for people of all ages, including children and the elderly. We have learned that hemp is rich in cannabidiol, or CBD as well as a variety of other cannabinoid nutrients that feed the endocannabinoid system. This is particularly important in light of recent discoveries that deficiencies of the endocannabinoid system are common in a host of neurological and autoimmune disorders. In fact, simple hemp extracts have had very positive effects on people with epilepsy, Parkinson's disease, and multiple sclerosis, among others. We're also finding that hemp CBD can also potentially be very effective for treating pain and reducing inflammation, which makes it an excellent alternative for people who are barred from using whole plant medical marijuana because of work-related restrictions. Some companies like CW and HempMeds are offering pure CBD products that have removed 100% of THC molecules. This enables people working in the military or other trades that require frequent drug testing to potentially get the relief they need from cannabis without risking their jobs to do so. I'm Dr. Brian Donner for The Cannabis Reporter. I'll be back again next week with another Medical Marijuana Minute. Back to you, Snowden.
1: Thank you so much, Dr. Donner. Let's get started. So we have two guests today. The first, Morris Beagle is the founder and president of We Are For Better Alternatives, a company created in 2015 as an umbrella for the Colorado hemp company, treefreehemp.com, the NoCo Hemp Expo, and other developing projects and brands. He's also a contributor for several industry advisory boards, including Pure Hemp Technology, the Hemp Business Journal, Hemptoday.net, and the National Hemp Association. I'm so glad you could be here, Morris. Thanks for joining us.
3: Well, thanks for having me on, Snowden. I
1: appreciate it. And our other guest is Thomas Dermody, He's worked across the nonprofit sector in various capacities, including membership services, major gift fundraising, and public policy related to agricultural commodities for the Industrial Hemp Research Foundation. There, he has a leading role in developing all sorts of things and spreading the word and getting more membership in other states. Right now, you're in Colorado, is that correct? Uh, yes. Tell me about a little bit of the expansion that you're doing.
4: Sure. So... the. The foundation's primary function is to support the development of hemp pilot programs and research opportunities that are applicable to the hemp industry. And we're based in Colorado, uh, first and foremost, because of the sheer quantity of industrial hemp that's grown here in the state. And also we found that our university partners are the most willing participants to um, help develop novel protocols that will allow for uh, hemp research to be more readily engaged here in the state. And, long, and in, in the long term, we're hoping to bring um, those protocols and research opportunities uh, a, across uh, the 50 states as they implement their own hemp pilot programs.
1: Right. So uh, both of you actually came from outside of the industry, the hemp industry, to you know, go into what you were doing. And um, Morris, I noticed that you, you spent 25 years in the music and entertainment industry before coming into the hemp business. Is that right?
3: Yes, that's correct.
1: Yeah. So what aspects were you working in then? Um, So
3: back in the late 80s, I went to a school called the Music Business Institute in Atlanta. And then I went to work for a large music and video video distributor called Handelman Company, where we took care of large music and video accounts, um, Kmart, Walmart, Sears. And I worked for those guys until 1995. And then I moved back to Colorado and started Happy Scratch Records, which was a one-stop shop for CD and DVD production, packaging, printing, distribution, music licensing. Also got into events. Um did just a variety of different services for the music industry. And also at which time when I started that, there was a store in Fort Collins, Colorado called The, the Hemperer's New Clothes, which is really where I became educated about industrial hemp and cannabis on a broader scale. Um I had joined normal and the lady who owned that store, you know, was really a great mentor for me back in those days and not that I became a hempster and got involved in the industry, but you know, that's where I really kind of got educated and have been a supporter up until, you know, the music business thing for me kind of being in the physical media business. In late 2008, 2009, everything had really changed with the internet and downloads, and it was really about, you know, trying to find other means of my skill set, and, and they just happened to transfer over pretty well into the emerging hemp industry that started to happen when Amendment 64 passed in 2012, so that's why I started Colorado Hemp Company.
1: Yeah, and and that's, um, Thomas, when you were in Maryland, is that correct, before you moved to Colorado?
4: Yes, that is correct. I was um, living in Maryland, working in D.C., and I was there when uh, the 2014 Farm Bill passed. And about six months after that, I relocated to Colorado uh, for a different job and felt my skill sets uh, were not being utilized in the best way and and found out about the foundation and got involved
1: right away. Yeah, so... I'm always curious to know where people come from when they enter the cannabis industry because, you know, often it's not uh, exactly where you'd think. You know, uh, some people who don't know much about cannabis and all of the amazing uh, qualities it has and uses and all of that might just perceive the whole industry as people really entering it in the early days just because they happen to be fans of smoking pot. (laughs) And... You know with hemp it's it's such a it's such an interesting industry because not only is it really um very integral to the whole uh, medical marijuana movement but there are just so many like i said in the opening so many industrial uses for it and yet um it's classified as a schedule one narcotic right alongside l s d and meth and uh heroin and you know, other non-useful substances. And I'm always curious as to why, because, I mean, the facts about hemp just seem so obvious. And then it's been kind of a challenge, I think, to educate lawmakers about it. And those who actually do know about it, it seems they must have some motivation not to legalize it. So, um, I mean, Tom, you, you were mentioning earlier that you're actually helping to work on the bill that's or are you contributing in any way to the legislation the farm bill that's coming up um in my
4: capacity as executive director i work for a nonpartisan non-lobbying group so we focus more on um, engaging with the universities to supply um, research results that will justify the efficacy of these products um but I do uh, advise on policy initiatives, both at the federal and state level, that would uh, ameliorate the hemp industry as a whole. But I think you hit it right on, on the head that the best thing that we can do for the industry as a whole is is demonstrate its applicability across multiple sectors. Uh, obviously the medical asp- uh, applications are very important, but if we can demonstrate to you know consumers at large and political officials specifically that hemp uh, has tremendous applications outside of the medicinal space, I think it'll be far easier to uh, normalize hemp as a commodity, just just like we see with corn or wheat or soybeans or anything like that.
1: Yeah, when I, when I started writing about hemp back in 2010, it was because I was writing on environmental issues. And what I found really interesting and silly, really, is that there's been a hemp bill sitting in Congress for probably 20 years now, maybe even more than that. I don't know. I mean, and it, it keeps being recycled as a new bill, and you know, as as Congress people come and go, it's sponsored by different people. You know, each each cycle or each uh, legislative session, it seems what do you think is happening with that bill? Do you think it's completely dead in the water and they're just going to start addressing the issue in the farm bill?
3: Can I jump in here real quick? Sure. Martin? Yes, please. Um, one thing, I just want to go back to this Schedule 1 of hemp, which I don't think it is a Schedule 1, personally. And there's a gr- there's definitely a movement that, you know, hemp doesn't even qualify as a Schedule 1. If you look at the Schedule 1 definition, Substances or chemicals are defined as drugs with no currently accepted medical use or a high potential for abuse. Hemp is not a drug. It's never been a drug. There's never been any potential for abuse. It does not qualify. Yeah. And in the 2014 Farm Bill, the section 7606 um, specifically states that it's the industrial hemp, which is 0.3 percent or less THC. That's our definition. If it falls in that, all parts of the plant are exempt from the Controlled Substances Act.
1: Yeah. And the
3: DEA continues to throw out propaganda that, you know, and it confusing the whole spectrum of, of people listening to their, their nonsense that, you know, CBD is a Schedule One. Well, cannabidiol, CBD, is not listed in the Schedule. Right. Um, it's, you know, and hemp has, you know like 98% of the CBD on the planet, you know, marijuana, which is a terrible term, let's just say high THC cannabis. I mean, the yeah, there's, there's CBD in there, but most of that stuff has been bred out through selective breeding over the years, and it's just jacked up the THC. You know, all these other compounds and constituents, they are health compounds. It's just like any other uh, botanical extract or herb or you know, Eastern medicinal medication. It is not a drug, and we're going to win this fight because science is on our side, history is on our side, yeah. um, and I, so I, I just wanted to make that point about the Schedule One because I don't think it's a Schedule One, and 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 it's going to get clarified because the the Act that you're talking about, the Industrial Hemp Farming Act which is actually legislation that Ron Paul, I think, wrote back in 2005, and it's been rehashed and and modified. It is getting ready to be reintroduced again. I think this is the third time, and James Comer from Kentucky, who was the Ag Commissioner, now he's a junior congressman in the House, is going to be reintroducing it. Um, There is a bipartisan coalition in D.C. I was in D.C. at the uh, end of February for Hemp on the Hill, and we went and lobbied and we've talked about this legislation It has not been introduced. So we don't know all the language that's in there, but it has been modified to uh, hopefully take care of several issues that were in the bill initially. And it, and that's not covering the native Americans, which they absolutely need to be protected. And, you know, they should be able to grow this on all their sovereign lands. And, um, and then this full plant where, where, We're going to be able to hold on to this CBD, cannabinoid extract side of the business for the supplements market because that's where it belongs. It does not belong to big pharma. It does not belong to big government, and it does not belong to big marijuana. It belongs to the people. It belongs to the natural products industry, and that's the position that, that we are taking as NOCO Hemp Expo. Um, and the position that a, a big chunk of the industry is finally coming together to rally around
1: yeah and and contrary to what the DEA would have you believe and we we actually have done a number of shows recently um, having to do with that issue. I had a couple of shows with attorneys uh, to talk about the um, registry. Announcement that came out in January from the DEA, uh, specifying that uh, any extract with CBD, like one um, one cannabidiol substance in it, is is getting its own Schedule One classification code or number, and that sent out red flags to just about everybody in the industry. I know that uh, it was very confusing for everyone involved. But one thing that came out, um, well, it didn't just come out, I mean, it's been a fact for a long time, is that the uh, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld a ruling that stated that hemp products that are imported into the United States are perfectly legal to purchase anywhere, whether or not they have medical cannabis programs. And that ruling, that Ninth Circuit ruling, actually supersedes the federal classification codes of Hemp, which is grouped in under the category of cannabis, even though it shouldn't be, because it obviously has medical uses and there's no potential for abuse. So it's it's interesting how that works. And yeah, but I yeah so go ahead. Yeah, I was
3: going to just expand on that. So yeah, that's the 2004 HIA versus DEA ruling that lots of people reference, and it and it does provide great protection the hemp plant, as does the 2014 Farm Bill, and this stuff that the DEA has thrown out there to, you know, all these red flags and and getting people all up in arms. Um, There's been several lawsuits that have resulted, you know, Hoban Law Group, HIA, there's been multiple lawsuits filed and petitions filed against the DEA here in the last month and a half, and there's going to be more to follow. I think that it's, you know, this is the way that we're going to have to resolve the situation is in the courts, because the DEA cannot make laws. You know, they can only follow the laws that Congress passes. And those guys have gone beyond their jurisdiction trying to 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 make rules that they just cannot do.
1: Yeah. And they're going to lose. Right. I know. I, I completely agree with that. Um, Tom, what do you think? You know, I think that
4: the DEA just simply does not want to admit it's wrong. It's It doesn't want to lose face when it comes to a lot of the claims that it's made surrounding cannabis over the last, you know, four decades. And what I would say is that there is a conceded effort by a number of groups, including the foundation and folks like Morris that are, are speaking uh, truth to authority and finding ways to demonstrate the efficacy of both um, you know chemical compounds found within hemp in general, and also its applications outside of the medicinal market. Um, and you know, if, and as Morris said, there have been a number of cases that have demonstrated that the DEA will continue to lose uh, when it comes to challenging the legality surrounding industrial hemp products, and as their uh, control over you know or the public perception of hemp continues to move in in a positive direction we'll we'll see quality returns and i think the sooner that the dea can um rectify some of its own mistakes they, the sooner the industry as a as a whole will blossom uh to where we see it going and honestly they should focus on other opportunity or other uh, policy initiatives that have more of a public health benefit, like the opioid crisis yeah. and or the heroin epidemics that we're seeing across this country. I mean, it's absolutely insane to see a federal agency spending uh, millions and millions of dollars on, on cannabis-related activities when those uh, you know sources of funding should be going towards other opportunities.
1: Right. And to educate patients and doctors and Um, quit spending money on putting people who grow cannabis in prison and (laughs) I mean I couldn't agree more but if we if we shift away from the policy for a second um, prohibition to prosperity um, is a six part series documenting um, prohibition of hemp as a cash crop but also talking about all of the qualities that make it one of the world's most sustainable cash crops. Who'd like to take that on? I, it, Because I know that hemp is also um, very good as a soil remediator because it's actually carbon negative and And so it's able to restore not just carbon, but nutrients to um, brownfields so that it can be used for growing food stu- substances again. Do you want to take that, Tom? Yeah, sure.
4: Uh, well, and I'll give you a, a, a quick example that, that's ongoing here in Colorado. Um, a group out of CSU, or Colorado State University, Pueblo, will be planting uh, a series of hemp rows along effluent sources in the Pueblo County area this summer to judge it, hemp's ability to uh, soak up selenium. that in. Southern Colorado has very high selenium uh, content that makes it unattractive to grow certain agricultural goods. Uh, but the the particular cultivars that were chosen will uh, also create a, a value-added scenario where the hemp uh, could potentially be sold back for industrial purposes. Uh, selenium is a non-caustic components so we could actually see that hemp being utilized in drywall and or for non-consumable purposes. And on the larger scale, there's a number of groups based in Italy that are working on brown site remediation uh, and then processing that hemp for industrial applications as well. And that particular uh, cultivar is being utilized to substitute fiberglass in insulation, and you know anything that we can do to, to remediate soils and present a, a value-added opportunity for farmers or producers in general is good in my book. Um, and I I hope down the road we'll be able to test the uh, phytoremediation potential of hemp in brown sites across the United States because there's certainly plenty of them, and the the list continues to grow. I'm happy to answer any questions you might have.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder if, um, if it can also be used to clean up toxic waste dump sites as well um, because I know the way that it does recycle from the soil and, and tilling and, and pulling nutrients and then putting them back, but not, not remediating in terms of um, removing things but actually restoring the nutrients back into it.
3: It does. Growing hemp can replenish the nutrients in the soil. That's why it's a good ro- rotational crop. If you're growing a corn or whatever, you, you, you put that in as a rotational crop, and it will help nourish the soil and replenish the nutrients yeah. that uh, have been drained out of it.
1: But can it remove heavy metals as well? And, and for example, um, caseum or cesium which would which would be a toxic uh, result of, like, nuclear power plants and things like that. Have you heard this?
3: The Chernobyl story of them growing hemp at Chernobyl to, to remove the radiation and toxic stuff from the soil there. And you, you can Google that, and I think that there's kind of some mixed information out there about it, but it definitely has been tested for that. I don't know the exact success, um, but you can see internet memes about that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely... Do you know, really
4: Tom? Uh, yeah. So one of the challenges, the 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 cultivars that they're using in the Ukraine are able to readily uptake uh, the heavy metals that are present in the topsoil. But much like all nuclear waste, it's a question of what you do with that vector after it's acquired all that radioactive material so as of right now the, uh, the hemp itself is being stored uh, on site within the uh, chernobyl evacuation zone but the the real and the, the soils themselves have been remediated to a to a habitable level but the, the question still remains of how do we deal with this waste product that's now sitting in the hemp itself um, which is a multi billion dollar question, considering you know some of the nuclear accidents that have occurred over the last several years
1: yeah it it 's frightening isn 't it yeah so so as it would clean up the soil yeah you 're right you can 't even use it as a building material at that point, I imagine
3: no, you really couldn't put that into any sort of consumer product whatsoever
1: right,
4: right. no but but I think it is worth mentioning that there are non toxic heavy metals uh, that can be utilized for non-consumable purposes. Uh, and like I said, that, that's already being done in Italy to produce uh, dry, uh, drywall and or uh, insulation materials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think our European partners would really like to see the U.S. laws related to hemp products loosened so that we could avail ourselves of those product options as well. Uh, and I, I am aware of a group in New Jersey that's working uh, on some small scale uh insulation products, but they simply don't have enough raw material to be uh, comp- competitive against you know some of the you know Home Depot esque suppliers. Right. Uh, and I think that's one of the real challenges facing the industry as a whole is how quickly can we ramp up the raw material um or the access to raw materials so that we can refine and process those into consumer and non-consumer goods.
1: Right. Well, that's that's really just a matter of of having Congress allow farmers to finally grow it here, because I'm everything, I mean, there are billions of dollars in products flooding into the United States right now that are made from hemp, and also um, just hemp raw material, too flooding into the states for manufacturing, but it seems like it's just such an unfair uh, exclusion of United States farmers, and it also drives up the price of the raw materials because it has to be imported. And you know, I mean, there, it just seems like it's a no-brainer to get hemp legislation passed. <laughs> we are back well, to the policy side of things.
3: Yeah, well, it's you know a no-brainer, yes, but for our Congress and the way our political system runs, I mean... Those guys are so dysfunctional up there that it's, you know, we've been beating our heads against the wall for, it seems, decades. I mean, me and Tom haven't, but, you know, this industry fighting for this, it's been, you know, it's a cluster in D.C. Yeah. So, but it really, it does come back to the farmer. I mean, this this crop, our agriculture system here in the United States is in
1: huge
3: trouble. You know, farmers in the small family farm, these guys have been decimated the last decade, and in particular, like the last five or six years, and they really need an alternative to get things going again. And hemp truly is the answer. I mean, this crop can revitalize local communities across the country where we can bring in jobs, we can bring in manufacturing and processing facilities. Um, It is a no-brainer. If Trump wants to make America great again, there's one crop that can do it. Yeah. You know, at least from that standpoint. And that's industrial hemp.
1: Yeah. Well, I I would tend to agree with that. And it would be really great to see some kind of law passed about about the lobbies. But, you know, that's decades away from now, I'm sure. But how much do you think the petroleum lobby or the chemical lobby has to say about it? I mean, do you think it's as, as large a factor as the pharmaceutical industry?
3: That's probably, you know, yeah, that's an industry that doesn't really want to see this happen. You know, the, in the cotton industry, there's the corn industry, I mean, hemp can, hemp can replace a lot of petroleum products. It can replace a lot of corn products. It can replace a lot of cotton products. And if you're in those industries, do you want your competition to be able to come in there and take away your business? And if you don't, how do you keep them out? You go and you lobby in D.C., and that's what they've been doing.
4: Well, and I and I also think um that there are some fundamental issues that that the federal government can really only solve that will ease it, the access for farmers. And one that, you know, outside of my capacity with the foundation really bothers me is the fact that a farmer who may, are you familiar with NRCS funding by any chance? No, I'm not. Essentially, NRCS is the division of the USDA that handles conservation funding for all U.S. farmers um, currently. And the challenge with the hemp industry right now is if you're uh, a hemp farmer, you can't have any outstanding NRCS funding on your farm. And when you're judging between a, you know, a, a novel commodity that could Boost your income and losing outstanding lines of credit provided by the federal government—that's that, just a, a non-starter for any farmer that's already struggling. And and there are you know ba- you know issues related to banking in general are a big problem within the within the hemp industry. And I think we need to take a positive you know moment. If find another bill that Ron Wyden and Mitch McConnell are both in support of, and I'll eat my shoe. And I think you know considering the Um, dire nature of our bipartisanship in the United States right now. Hemp is an easy win when it comes to bipartisanship and it it addresses so many of the issues that Republicans and Democrats rally against when it comes to uh, the ag industry in in one foul swoop. But I think Morris hit the nail right on the head that there are a number of industries that feel threatened by the, the normalization of hemp and you know, the the sooner that we can build a, a cohesive unit to address some of those issues, the sooner we'll see him you know, on, on every shelf uh, from California to Maine in some way or another.
1: Yeah. And these are just some of the topics, I think, that, that are going to be covered over at the NOCO um, event this year. Morris, you want to tell me a little bit about what that's going to be about?
3: Well, yeah, so we've got... NOCO Hemp Expo that's happening at the end of the month here in, in Loveland, Colorado, March 31st and April 1st. And we've got 130-plus vendors uh, there for two days, and we've got over 75 speakers now that will – we've got a variety of panels, presentations, workshops, um, and covering all kinds of different topics from, you know, policy, legislation, regulations, uh, the seed situation – clones that are you know being used for more of the high cbd uh side of the growing side of things pesticides ponds um we're talking about equipment uh processing uh the global perspective we've got a, a global hemp village this year and we do have a lot of international people coming in and you know tom had mentioned the global thing before Really, the global cooperation and global collaboration are going to be key to the future of industrial hemp for this planet. So, you know, right now we're still in an infancy of an industry, and everybody's trying to get on the same page and, and stay in business. We're all kind of looking for money to fund our our ventures. And people, the, the investment community is still hesitant because of this federal you know, gray area of what's going on with him. The cloud. You know, we don't really <laughs> think the de the, the cloud. We don't really think the DEA is going to worry about hemp, and that they're going to come down and shut shut down the hemp industry. They've got much bigger fish to fry. But at the same time, it, it definitely has to take an act of Congress to finally clarify that industrial hemp is not a Schedule One. Leave it alone. It's going to be Department of Agriculture, and that's where it's going to go. The FDA is not going to get involved, you know, it's Department of Agriculture. So once that happens, you know, our our industry moves from infancy into, you know, a, a full industry.
1: Right. Yeah. And and wow, what a financial upside for our country. Imagine, you know, with all of the incredible benefits and not to mention the environmental benefits. I mean, just the financial benefits alone. It just seems like. um, Do either of you know what the estimated import of hemp raw material is right now on a dollar? um, The dollar value
3: these days. Estimated import of raw materials. I'm not positive, but the number that's thrown around for. Hemp retail sales in the United States annually is it's a right around six hundred million dollars now five hundred and eighty to six hundred and twenty million dollars in in that area is and that again, the this the all
1: products or
3: no that's real this is really just all kind of the food and body care and textiles apparel uh-huh um that's really what it covers now this kind of medicinal cbd extract stuff when you look at companies like bluebird botanicals or cbdrx or cw hemp and um cd sciences some of these bigger companies that are doing you know millions of dollars worth of business in this new in this new part of the industry you know that's in 2016 that may have added 100 million dollars i mean there is a lot of that business going on that industry is up and running and to to just turn the switch and turn it off i don't see that happening
1: yeah i don't i don't see it happening either
3: i can tell you right now c w hemp charlotte's web those guys are in 50 states and 19 countries and they're going for it they're like you know we those guys are helping kids with epilepsy and you know, if you're going to kind of try to shut down that industry, and you've got all these parents that you know have looked for this last-ditch effort for their kids, and this stuff is really helping, it's really hard to 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 go against that. I mean, that's a public relations nightmare for the government.
1: Yeah. Well, as long as as long as people really know and understand uh, what they'd be losing, because I I still think that there are pockets of um, regions in our country, where people have absolutely no idea what hemp is, and you know it's I think it 's been a slow go to really make the information completely mainstream but i that 's why I appreciate so much what both of you are doing because you know that kind of education is just so necessary to really help people understand the difference between. You know a a drug that'll make people high or influence their children or whatever else they're afraid of um, and you know hemp, which is just an incredibly useful and healthy product
4: well, well you bring up a, an interesting point so you know most people would assume that rural America doesn't know that much about hemp, but prior to the you know 1930s hemp was one of the most prolific commodities in the United States. So where we're seeing the, um, you know, the largest uh, kind of education push is actually in urban centers, telling people about sustainable products, informing them, you know, the benefits of incorporating various hemp products into their lifestyle. And, you know, again, hemp presents an excellent opportunity to provide synergy between urban and rural America. Uh, urban america is looking for more sustainable lifestyles and r- rural america is really seeking you know the options for cash crops that can return um you know financial stability and um you know good hard-working americans to to their everyday lives and it's just amazing to see that um you know at, at the the general population knows enough about hemp to know it's a good thing, but doesn't know enough necessarily how to engage in the use of hemp products and ecological services. Um, So, you know, we're, you know, the foundation has focused primarily here in Colorado, but now we're starting to expand our message. Um, I wouldn't say we have a 50-state approach, but we're definitely targeting states that have authorized hemp pilot programs and are seeking ways to uh, readily engage in the hemp industry, and, and we're there to support those opportunities whenever possible.
1: Yeah. Well, one of the one of the reasons that we took the approach to um, broadcasting that we took uh, with this show is that one of I mean, it's one thing when you are in the metropolitan areas, as you mentioned. I mean, people are pretty you know well educated about it because it's covered a lot on radio stations and you see a lot of big events happening and and people are just becoming generally more aware whereas in the rural center or rural areas you know the radio stations don't really reach out there and and people wouldn't automatically go and seek out information you know unless they heard about it some other way so what we're trying to do is get our show into and and i have to say a majority of our audiences right now on the air are in these rural areas on community stations in the different states where we are. And it's it's amazing how just a little bit of information can actually impact people. I mean, we're learning about it all the time. It's, it's fantastic.
3: Well, what you guys are doing is great. I mean, we need these radio programs that do broadcast to community stations across the country. And and God bless community radio and NPR. All that stuff should stay where it is and not be defunded because it's incredibly important to local communities to have access to, to this dialogue on the air. Um, so thank you for what you're doing. I mean, there's so much information that needs to get out there, and people like you make a big difference.
1: Thank you for that, yeah, thank you for that yeah and um you know and we're not even on public radio at all we're um, we're actually going to be um, expanding into public radio as well, which is um <laughs> if they don 't lose their funding uh, it's a heartbreak but um but we're you know these are like little um, uh, not little but i'd say you know smaller market community stations that are just regular broadcasting. You know, out in rural centers, you know, where often people only have one choice of a station in their community, because you know the the airwaves don't really reach that far out when you're talking about these big metropolitan center stations. So it's it is a great way to um, to get the word out in a way that people can understand the importance of this movement. Is definitely the goal. But you know, and also hearing from from people like you both who are very well educated about the topic and can explain it in a way that makes complete sense to those who um, you know voice their opinions at the at the polls and really are interested in finding a sustainable economically beneficial way to upgrade their lifestyle. And it seems like hemp is just the ticket when it comes to that. Any thoughts?
4: Oh, well, and I definitely agree. um, (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Morris, go ahead.
3: No, no, I, I completely agree as well.
1: Yeah, Tom, were you going to say something?
4: Well, and I was just going to say, in, you know, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity presented by you know hemp as a commodity to the U.S. And you know, one thing that I wanted to talk about on today's call is talking about the importance of research because while you know hemp has shown tremendous applicability, there are some very finite issues that must be solved. Before we can continue to see the the progress that we've seen thus far flourish even further, and that comes from you know providing certified seed uh, that can be used in various supply chains to uh, judging the efficacy of various hemp pro- um, products and ecological services to the masses. One of the biggest challenges that you know the medicinal space is currently facing is how do they make claims about their products without um, you know, getting a call from the FDA, and you know, point blank period, the best way to do that is to support and incorporate your product lines into various research opportunities. And until recently, many hemp companies were forced to conduct their uh, research and development programs outside of the U.S. for fear that you know their products would be seized, funding would be uh, would be frozen, and or um, you know, simply the cost of engaging in these opportunities at institutions of higher education, freestanding uh, research facilities are very high compared to in other countries. But, you know, now we're starting to see the university system and research and freestanding research facilities really getting interested in providing their um, facilities and capabilities um, from a faculty standpoint to the hemp industry, which I think is a really great opportunity for everyone. It helps justify um, the safety of these products to consumers. It shows politicians what we can do um, if they simply step out of the way and allow us to continue to move this industry forward. And I also want to put a a small plug out to any of your listeners that are out there that have questions. Please contact the foundation and we will do our very best to um, connect you with someone that is qualified to provide you with a with an answer and if, and if we can't, we will go out there and, and figure out a, a way to answer your question the best of our ability.
1: yeah, I definitely will do that in fact, um, I will put uh, your website up on our on the page for today 's show and um, and also morris i 'll put I have information already about the um, event that 's coming up at the end of the month, but i 'll also put um, more information out there about the um, Colorado Hemp Company because I think what what both of you are doing is is really amazing work and it's important work and you know I think that that this movement is probably one of the most important movement um, well certainly in our lifetimes but I think it's it's going to leave a legacy of something very special very special and very sustainable and um something that can create prosperity for generations to come and i I really am just grateful whenever I hear of anyone out there trying to educate people and and you know explain and pass legislation and all of that so it's it's really it's a win win what you're doing, both of you so congratulations
3: well, thank you, you know. It, you know, as I like to say, you know, we really have a collective movement. Every, everybody plays a role, you know. NOCO plays a role, Industrial Hemp Research Foundation, HIA, CW Hemp, Hempies, and Biro Textiles. all these companies, We everybody plays a role. And then all of the advocates and activists around the country, I mean, we really need to build an army, and we are building an army, and we're building it on the truth, which is... I think in the end is going to give us the advantage.
1: Yeah, well, it takes a village for sure.
3: It certainly does. Yeah. And trust me, our, our the village we're building, and there's a few idiots running around. And <laughs> with that being said, people just need to kind of ignore people.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I hear well, you on that, so... <laughs>
4: And I would say that there really is no better place to see the um, positive attitudes and um, interest in speaking to the truth or in speaking truth than at noco. I mean it it really is a one of a kind event where you can meet you know CEOs of some of the most um, important companies in the hemp industry right now in, in a very casual setting. Uh, and as it, and the foundation is the nonprofit beneficiary of this year's NOCO. So again, I'd like to thank NOCO, uh, NOCO in in particular Morris for providing us with the, with this tremendous opportunity. I mean, even, uh, two years ago, we were just a booth at NOCO and now we're, we're really stepping up to, you know, see how we can help the industry flourish as, um, you know, in the long run. And we really appreciate the opportunity that NOCO has provided us with this year.
1: Yeah, well, I tell you, um, I'm I'm excited to learn uh, how the how the festival goes, and um, I'm happy to share online any of the information that comes out of the festival or whatever goes on. So please keep in touch with me about that. I so wish I could go, and I would encourage anybody who lives in Colorado to um, go ahead and do it. I'm I'm actually uh, going to be speaking at a conference later on in the month um, in. In Pittsburgh, the World Medical Marijuana Business Conference and Expo. It's a, i I've got a lot going on right now, so I just can't get up there. But um, perhaps next year I can try to make it to the event, NoCo Hemp Expo. So, and what's the website for that, uh, Morris? It's NoCoHempExpo.com, or is it? Yep. Okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. And um, Tom, what is the website for the foundation?
4: It's T-H-E-I-H-R Foundation.com
1: Okay, okay. Well, that's that's fantastic. Um, I am getting a signal from Windy our producer, that uh, it's about time for us to wrap up um, this conversation today. But uh, I really am... I'm, I'm very grateful to both of you for um, sharing your insights and knowledge with us today. I mean... Really, thank you so much. Really appreciate both of you.
4: Well, thank you for having us on. I appreciate yeah. being here. It yeah. was a pleasure, and thank you very much for having us
1: yeah, on the show. Thank, oh, you're certainly welcome, and anytime you have a story to share or whatever, please do feel free to send it off to us.
3: Thanks, Noden.
1: Really appreciate it. So if you want to learn more about the work that they're doing... Please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click broadcast to find today's episode, and I'll put their bios and information up there, along with uh, ways that you can contact their organizations. And also, there's information about the event as well. Many thanks to our producer Wendy West and the team at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. And um, also, would like to put a uh, shout out to XRQK Network. And I'd also like to say thank you so much to Dr. Brian Donner for our Medical Marijuana Minute update. And I'd also like to express our gratitude for our sponsors, HempMeds.com and Zephyr Labs. Thank you for your support. We couldn't be here without you. And last but not least, thanks to all of you for listening. Tune in next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and until we meet again... Stay safe, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is
0: calling,
3: Pure CBD is a new and unique fresh tasting spray product which delivers an exact measured amount of the highest grade 100% cannabinoid oil with each spray. Each tube holds a 30 day supply when used as directed. No smoke, no mess. For discreet use, Pure
2: CBD can be used anywhere. Pure
3: CBD from Zephyr Labs.
0: You're busy. Running around from work to kids to evening events, healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra. For only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids, by the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24 7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com.